God's Word this morning to Luke chapter 19, found on page 878 in the Bibles in front of you, if you're using those Bibles. Luke chapter 19, we're looking at verses 28 to 44 this morning. Been working our way through the gospel according to Luke. We're skipping ahead so that we can connect it with Palm Sunday this, uh, this morning. It's been quite a week in our nation as we turn to God's Word. I want to assure you that what we're seeing and experiencing is nothing new. Many have noted that actions taken this week are monumental, never before taking place in the nation's history. But we know that nations rise and nations fall. Nations not submitted to God eventually collapse. doesn't matter what leader the nation has. Truly, our, our, the only kingdom that endures is God's, and he reminds us of that. That is our citizenship. It is in heaven where Christ is, seated at God's right hand. And this kingdom, as we have been hearing through our entire study of Luke's gospel, this kingdom is open to all who will repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom to which anyone may belong. As they come in faith. We look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem this morning. It doesn't seem all that triumphant when we compare it to other coronations, perhaps. But it demands the attention of all people everywhere through all times. Been saying for months that the gospel, that Luke in his gospel, shows that Jesus came to seek and to save, to save sinners. And as he Save sinners, he must do that as he goes to the cross. This is the beginning of that Passion Week as he comes to Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders couldn't imagine Jesus as the king, certainly not the king of the Jews, as he said and did things of which they did not approve. He said all people were sinners, that all needed to be saved, and they grumbled at him. We saw some weeks ago in Luke 15, Because he ate and drank with sinners. Now here in chapter 19, we read of Jesus dining with a tax collector, one of the worst sinners possible. And calling this one who welcomed him into his home a son of Abraham. And they were furious. And as he approached Jerusalem, he gave teaching that indicated that all people have received from God and all people are to be faithful with what they have received from God and to use it all to God's glory. And it was a warning to those who did not. It was a warning to those who had received from God but did not want God ruling over them, God leading them as he led in his sovereignty. Well, with that background, let's look then at the verses 28 to 44, Luke chapter 19. This is the Word of God. When Jesus had said these things, all of those things I've just mentioned, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent 
went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So far, the reading of God's own holy word may add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Your congregation, Lord Jesus Christ, ever since chapter 9, we've seen that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He understands what he must do. He understands the importance of what he must do, the necessity of his redeeming work. And he's been teaching about the heart of his father, And he's purposefully waited to go to Jerusalem until the time of Passover when all the lambs were coming in to be slain for Passover so that those who were near him would understand what he was about to do, that he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin, the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that the Son of God came to fulfill all righteousness. He came as that suffering servant to endure our judgment so that we might be set free. What did the people want? What were they looking for? They wanted dominance under a divinely appointed king. They wanted their livelihoods secure. They wanted their land secure. They wanted all their taxes to be reduced. They wanted the Roman oppressors to be removed from over them. And they saw a great potential in Jesus. They saw a great potential in him. He spoke and taught like no one. He fed multitudes. He healed. He did great wonders. And if he was ready to take Jerusalem, they were ready to go with him. But Jesus had a strange plan for entering into Jerusalem. He drew near Jerusalem and sent two disciples into the village in front of them with a command, go into the village and there you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat, a donkey as we read in the other gospels. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Jesus says, get me a donkey. What's the significance of that? Well, children, we recognize that the 
donkey was something that was used in the house of David, but was also a, a, an animal that was a service animal, someone humble, uh, an animal that was for humble service, not for a king to ride upon, but an animal used to serve. A powerful horse would have been more fitting for a king who came if he was coming to intimidate and conquer. It wasn't the only ride available, but, and yet Jesus chose it out of recognition of the Old Testament prophecy back in Zechariah 9. The Lord promises his people that a king will come riding on a donkey. More a picture of peace than of humility, though it certainly entails that. Donkey was for service. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, to call out to those who would hear that they might see in him salvation. He did not come to call out commands for invasion from atop of a stallion. He did not come to raise an army to conquer. In his first coming, he came not to destroy sinners, but to bring salvation. What does Jesus say in John 3, 17? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him might be saved, but the one who does not remains at odds with God, and the wrath of God remains on him. Very clear message. He was a king for sinners. He came to rescue. He did not come to tear down an earthly kingdom or earthly power, only to establish another one. That was not his purpose in coming. He came to be a servant of sinners. He came as God's servant to offer salvation to those who would confess him. As we heard these young men do this morning, as we heard them do before the elders a few weeks ago, the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If they want to serve him with their lives. That is what Jesus calls us to do. It's easy for us to forget what we really need when we get comfortable in the world. Jesus comes to offer salvation, forgiveness from sins. When we get comfortable in the world, we start to think that God is serving us to give us more of what we already have materially. That Jesus is, quote-unquote, our guy to secure our possessions, to secure our lives, and all that we have to protect our assets. But he didn't come to win for us the American dream. He came to reconcile us to the Holy God. By dying for our sins and rising again to open the way to God, to bring sinners to God. And for that to apply to us, we need to recognize ourselves as sinners, as those who need a Savior to repent and to place our hope on Him. So why does the church remember this entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem? Not because it was so majestic. There have been many more majestic coronations than this. We remember it because it was Jesus' willing acceptance. His willing acceptance of a kingship that would end in his death, which would make peace between God and man. The city where God chose to dwell, that of Jerusalem, was in rebellion against him. 
People have rebelled, just as our first parents rebelled against God in that garden which he had given to them, thinking they had a better way, thinking they could go take their own path and find a path to life. So also their descendants, we ourselves, have rebelled, revolted against God. The only way of winning back or we could say establishing a new city was through his victory But it did not come by conquering, by wiping out the city, by wiping out people, destroying the nations. It came as he came under the sword of judgment, which we deserved, so that we might have victory in him. So that we might say, this king has not only given us a land, which God promises a new heavens and new earth, but he has given us new life, everlasting life, freeing us from the curse of sin. He came as a servant king, serving his father in heaven. He came not to rule in sin-cursed, to rule a sin-cursed world, but to destroy the curse. To do that, he'd have to die. As he came near to Jerusalem, the people were rejoicing and praising God for all the mighty works that they had seen, verse 37 tells us. As I said, he'd fed multitudes, he'd healed many people, he'd done wonders, he spoke and taught like no one had ever done. He put proud people in their place, leaving them silent. And they thought, this is the kind of politician, this is the kind of guy we need. Shut those people up. Get them so that they don't have a single word to say in return. That's the kind of guy we need. But they misunderstood who Jesus was. He was not for party. He was not come to demean people, to belittle people, but to help people realize what they truly needed of whatever stripe they were from whatever place they had come. And they missed, the people missed what they needed, and we are no different today. We so often want something from God other than what he has promised. We don't understand our need. Well, the people are singing praises to him. Verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And many of them are thinking, we're going to get ours now. But they don't really know what they're saying. They blessed Jesus because they thought he would serve their purpose as well. And indeed, he would, but not in the way that they thought. He comes to save, and only he can. They did not understand these words of Psalm 118.26, or why Jesus was called blessed by the Father, why the Father in heaven delighted in him. The Father delighted in him because of his perfect obedience, because of his perfect love, because he had the perfect heart of the Father, because he and the Father were one. He revealed to earth the one true God and the Father's plan, the Son's plan, the Spirit's plan, the triune God's plan of redemption for lost sinners, a salvation of the elect. 
The people still did not understand what the angels had pronounced to the shepherds over 30 years ago. You remember the beginning of Luke's gospel. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on whom God's favor rests. They wanted their best life now and Jesus was their ticket. Well, this is where we think of this message as it pertains to us. What king or kings do we serve in this nation? Who do we want ruling over us? One who secures the economy? One who secures retirement, perhaps. One who's got a good defense plan. One who has a plan to police the world with a buildup of defense. Fill in the blank. Who do we want? What is our desire? There are cracks in the foundation of our land and people are starting to see that leaders should not only secure material blessing, but should secure law and order. And indeed, that is why God raises up leaders. Romans 13 tells us that. For good to secure a society. But we now wonder if our leaders who have grown up in an increasingly idolatrous land and have other idols, we wonder if they have a sense of justice, a grasp of truth, an awareness of why they serve, or if they think they are to be served. The seed sown are bearing ugly fruit in leaders that lack character, virtue, and citizens in this land show that they are not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, but rather fruit from seeds of wanting to conquer, to live comfortably, to live beyond comfort, to live for comfort and for the world. And they say, just get us this guy, and it'll all turn around. But you see, it isn't about political party. And Jesus isn't for a particular plan. Jesus is for peace between God and men. He came to die, to bring sinners, to bring us to God, 1 Peter 3.18. And he comes near and he weeps over any people who don't know what will make for peace. Listen to verses 41 and 42. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, that will settle your restlessness, that will give you a deep and abiding joy. Would that you knew. And the word by the power of the Spirit, tells us from week to week, from day to day, where that joy and that peace can be found. If we will but listen. The religious leaders don't want to lose their power and influence. They're sick and tired of this Jesus. And they tell him to rebuke his disciples, verse 39. They hate him and all those who follow him. For he represents... A spoiling of all their plans. 
It's here that Jesus gives a word that we must heed. It's for those who've made profession of faith this morning. It's for all of us. For all of us, and that is, do not be silent. Proclaim the King who has made peace between God and man. Young men act as men. Hear this word from 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the truth, or in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. None of you picked those verses, but that's okay. Those are good ones for all of us to stand firm, to do all that we do in love, to point people to Christ. That is what he's saying as he welcomes the praise of these people who don't understand what they're saying, and yet those who are speaking words that are true. He is blessed, the king who comes to bring peace. The world needs to hear of the king of kings, the prince of peace, though they had a wrong understanding of his kingship. They spoke words of truth. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, who comes with God's blessing, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That is what we announce. We do not put forth ourselves, but Christ and him crucified. Go go back through Luke's gospel this week. So we've been studying it. Go back through the gospel. Look at the emphasis in Christ's teaching. He is for humanity, not for party. But he's securing something which we cannot secure for ourselves. Something which is eternal. Or to secure in his sacrifice, which is infinite. Namely, peace with God. Jesus is for humanity, but he also pronounces woe to those who reject him. For there is coming a great and awesome day of judgment, wherein there will be no mercy for those who refuse him. The Pharisees rebuke Jesus. They tell him to rebuke his disciples. And he says this, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The world that we live in needs to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. The fallen world and its way of thinking is opposed to God. It promotes sin and will never bring peace. The psalmist says, when I kept silent about my sin, my life was nothing but a constant groaning. Suppressing sin doesn't bring peace. Legalizing sin doesn't bring peace. Confessing sin and turning to Christ brings peace. Well, I get to stray a bit from my passage this morning before I bring us back because I went to a conference and I want you to know I actually attended. I heard one of the speakers speak on 1 John chapter 2. I'd invite you to turn there this morning. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I think you'll see how it fits with our passage this morning. If it doesn't, well, enjoy it anyway. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. The speaker was waking up my mind to the command of God to us all, and that is that we don't love the world. We're not in love with the world. Jesus didn't come to make us, put us in love with the world. He came 
that we might be led to love God, who is our life. We hear so much in our culture today that love is always right. Whatever you love, that's good and that's right. But can love ever be sinful? And the answer is yes. We live in a culture that needs to hear that. We need to hear that as well. God's command in 1 John 2.15 is this. First three words, do not love. What? I thought Christians were supposed to be known by their love. I thought, I thought Jesus is love. God is love. And he is. And that's true. So what do we make of that command, do not love? You want me to read the rest of the verse because you know there's more coming. But sit with that for a moment. There's a command here, do not love. Do not love what? Listen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. World here is being used as that anti-God system, that, that, that anti-God worship of the world. We serve the world today. The fallen world serves anything and everything other than God, setting up idols and worshiping. Don't love that system. Love those in the world. Call them out from that love of the worldly things to love God. Don't love the world. Jesus didn't come to, to ride into the city so that he might establish you on your piles of material wealth. John says here, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus came as a king for us. He came to destroy. Listen, he came to destroy the works of the devil. To conquer evil. And he did so at the cross, Colossians 2.15 tells us. It's for freedom that he set us free, as we heard in Galatians this morning, to stand firm in the truth and not to act in the lust of the flesh, to love the things of the flesh. Christ came to deliver humanity from sin and death and judgment unto hell to bring us near to God. Three points that were given very quickly. Not a three-point sermon. That might be for another day. Three points quickly. Love becomes sinful when it is directed at the wrong object. When you love the things of the world, when you love the world more and you say, Jesus, you come and give me more of this, then you have your love directed to the wrong place. And you don't understand who King Jesus is, what he has come to do. He has not come that you might be more attached to the world and the things of the world. John writes later, 1 John 5, 4, we are to overcome the world. John 15, 19, John 17, 16, we are not to be of the world. James writes, friendship with the world is enmity toward God. With that understanding of world as I've defined it now, there's other ways that the word world is used. But that anti-God system. Secondly, love becomes sinful when it arises from the wrong source. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
God calls us to love him, to use our God-given desires for him, not for sin. Third, love becomes sinful when it produces the wrong fruit. Look at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The fruit of God abides forever. God gives us passions. Our passions, apart from self-control, become sinful. They lead to death and destruction. All I need to point you to is the moral revolution today and to Romans 1 where Paul speaks of dishonorable passions. We are to bear the fruit that will last. And that is as we look to God and receive from him. Okay, there's your mini-conference. It was much longer than that, I can assure you. Coming back to our passage, what then, what then must we love? What then must we proclaim? Not ourselves, not our party, not our possessions, not our position, nothing other than Christ and him crucified as the peace for all who will believe between God and men. We're not preaching tribe. We call all people everywhere to repent and believe in Jesus Christ so that God's people will be brought in for his glory. We live in the already not yet age. We are already saved by faith in Christ. We are already secure in him. We're already striving against sin within and standing firm against the devil by the power of the Holy Spirit. And against the world which seeks us, leads us to compromise the truth. But we wait for the perfection of our lives. But all the while we're to live as those over whom the Lord rejoices, Zephaniah 3.17. Not as one whom he weeps over when he sees us. We are to proclaim Christ and him crucified for the salvation of the nations. What brings an end to restlessness that comes when we turn from living for ourselves to learning for God, living for God in gratitude for that work that he has done to give us life in Christ such that we will not flee from him but to him. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem those many years ago, he did so to make peace and our peace is found in this king and in this one alone whom the people praised with these words, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in God, who rules over all, who sees all, knows all, We are so privileged to be able to come and call you Father. We are humbled that you would rescue us from our sin, from our filth. Raise us up to that privileged position of suffering witnesses. Lord, we look not for martyrdom, but we recognize and we fear not suffering. For as our Savior suffered, so we shall suffer. 
Help us to understand that as we, when we sacrifice those things of the world, do not cry and throw a temper tantrum, but rather walk with confidence, with peace, knowing that the best is yet to come. May we be encouraged by those who profess their faith publicly as we've seen here today. May we do the same as we look forward to the day when all will be subject to you and you will be all in all. Hear us for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 333 is the song that we want to respond with now. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sang. Through pillared court and temple, the lovely anthem rang to Jesus, who had blessed them, close folded to his breast. The children sang their praises, the simplest and the best. Let's stand to sing those three stanzas, number 333. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for that wondrous relationship that we have, that message that we can share of peace in Christ, of union with him by faith, the joy that comes in knowing that all is secure for eternity. 
Pray you, we would bless your church this day as that word goes forth, as we bring offerings for New Horizon Church. Ask your blessing upon Reverend Mitchell Prasad and his work in Toronto. And pray that you would bless his family and that congregation, that they would be delighting, rejoicing in the good news of Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers now as we offer them with these offerings. In Jesus' name, amen. But God, please stand as word of God's parting blessing is given. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may confess and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.